Welcome to Declare, the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Ohio. Each episode, LPO Communications Director Aaron Keith Harris talks to the most interesting people promoting liberty in Ohio and around the world. You can send questions and comments to news at lpo.org. All right, my guest today is Governor Gary Johnson, former governor of the great state of New Mexico. He's made a lot of news here uh, lately in the Libertarian Party and in political circles. Uh, Governor, uh, glad to have you on. How are you today? Aaron, I'm great. Uh, appreciate you having me on today. Uh, look, looking forward to... Uh, look, I'm about to uh, go to New York for the next five days. So I'm looking forward to uh, the meeting there, and apparently there will be six uh, candidates for president there that will be participating in a forum of sorts. Okay, is it a Libertarian Party forum or another type? Or Yes. Okay, great. Um, your story is, is, has been pretty um, pretty amazing over the last year or so uh, when uh, many of us have got to know your name. Um, you know, election cycles for the president start way out there, and you, you start to hear people throwing their hat into the ring for either of the nominations. This, this time around, obviously, just the Republicans of the two, of the two big government parties. Um, and your name was on that list. Um, I want to start a little bit. Tell us how you were governor of New Mexico and with a very good record as governor of New Mexico and uh, some similar candidates to you with similar resumes, roughly similar resumes, were included in a lot of the GOP debates and the GOP process of the nomination. What made you um, run for president and how were you received? Well, I thought I was really shoddily received. Uh, I thought that when my name appeared in polls that uh, I had the same poll showing as others that were on the stage, and uh, that was really the rub, was uh, not being in polls that determined who got in the debate. So really felt like I got a, a raw deal. You know, I think I'm delivering the same message as uh, Ron Paul, not that uh, we don't have differences, but... I don't have a, uh, you know, this isn't uh, proprietary to just me. It's not proprietary to just Ron Paul. It's a message that thousands of people are talking about, and if given the opportunity, would do the same thing that I'm doing, which is be, to try and be the most effective messenger possible. Aaron, I'm under the belief that when uh, you hear it from more than just one source, it uh, takes on a little more credibility and people talk about it a little more. Uh, I'm in the camp that, uh, as a human being, sometimes the 20th time I hear something is really the first time I hear it. And so to have more than just one messenger on stage is really important. I don't think Ron Paul is going to win the uh, Republican nomination. So when that comes to an end, um, who's who goes forward with this message? Um, I hope to be the Libertarian nominee, and I hope that uh, that uh, the Libertarian nominee has a high enough showing in the polls, 15%, to be on stage in the national uh, debates. And the excitement for me running as a Libertarian is, is that whoever the Libertarian nominee is, will be on the ballot in all 50 states. Right. That is really significant. And who's to say what might happen?
such outrage over business as usual. Business as usual is the two big government parties, Republican and Democrat. It's uh, close your eyes, and you don't know who's you don't know who's in office. Uh, they, they seem to both do the same thing, and that is uh, sell sell the country off, uh, granting special loopholes, dispensation, your special favor. Uh, politicians with their hand out, and Republicans and Democrats both, and it's for sale. Uh, meaning the system's for sale, as opposed to uh, a level playing field for all of us to be able to uh, compete. All right. First of all, uh, let's let's back up a little bit. Tell us um, who you are. Your major resume, resume point is Governor of New Mexico. Pretty successful there. How did you get to be governor? Why did you originally get into politics? And, and how was your uh, time as governor of New Mexico? governor and you work with the legislature, different parties, different personalities, and you 
veto a lot of what the legislature does. How does that affect your ability to get things done? Did it poison things or did it open the way to compromise that was good for liberty? Um, how did that work? Because obviously I would think that they would probably not look too kindly at uh, someone kind of standing up to them and saying, no, this isn't right. How, how did that work? Well, Aaron, um, uh, it was it was standing up. It, it was saying no to uh, to legislation that was going to limit liberty. Right. Saying no to legislation that was going to cost me more money and more time to comply with the government, and wasn't going to make a difference when it came to health or safety, other than just to add time and money to live on a daily basis. And I don't I, I don't agree with that. And I articulated that in the bills that I vetoed. I had fun uh, doing it. Um, I had fun uh, providing a, a voice that um, that no one else was providing. Of the 750 bills that I vetoed, I think about 100 of them were bills where the vote in the legislature was 117 to 0, hmm. meaning every single legislator voted for the bill. I vetoed the bill. Uh, only two were overturned, so it made a difference, like I say, when it came to billions of dollars worth of spending. It made a difference when it came to a whole bunch of legislation that in many cases was going to criminalize behavior that otherwise would not have been criminal. What was one of the most unpopular vetoes um, that you had? You mean by unpopular that the state viewed as unpopular? Yeah, that maybe you took a hit in public opinion or the newspapers got after you or, or things like that. What was the toughest one um, politically, I guess? Uh, surprisingly, there wasn't any real fallout over any one specific bill that was more or less than any other bill. It's, uh, I think taken as a whole... Uh, there was a political cartoon that ran in New Mexico that had me on a pogo stick. At the On the end of the pogo stick was uh, veto, the word veto. Right. And they basically had me um, juxtaposed on a map of New Mexico, having vetoed every square inch of New Mexico. <laughs> so if there was a negative, it was, uh, it was this perception that I was that um, I was getting in the way of progress when I would argue and did argue that it was just the opposite, that uh, that I wasn't going to participate in a regression of the liberties and freedoms that we still do retain. And they are being eroded on a daily basis. And um, I like to think I stood up to that more than anybody else that's ever been in elected office. Well, the, the record, uh, the more I look into it, the more... Uh, I believe that you may have a case there, and I think that's, you know, really good attitude for an executive to have, whether it's a governor or a president. You know, in our politics, you know, that word progressive, you know, connotes, you know, forward-looking progress, uh, things like that. But when you really look at it, it is rolling back our liberties. It's um, making things tougher. Like you said, I, I really like the phrase you used earlier about making it harder just to live day by day, whatever, you know, walk of life you're in, too much of government does that, and we suffer from kind of this 
perception that if there's a problem, well, we have to get vote something in, vote a program in, allocate money, have a task force, this and that, and and you found that that wasn't necessarily the case, and you prospered politically. And and sometimes I think people think that saying no to demands for government programs would be politically unpopular. But you're, it seems like you're saying that your record kind of shows that that's not the case. Well, that's, that's my record, and it does show that it's not the case. And I oftentimes also uh, refer to my no's as the K-N-O-W's. Right. Yeah, that's a good way. I mean, if you just a little bit of wisdom goes a long way, and knowing when not to do something is nine times out of ten when you're talking about government, it's it's the right thing to uh, to do. So when was your last year as governor, and what have you done since then? Well, so my last year, uh, my last day in office was December 31st, 2002. I was out of office January 1 of 2003. Uh, I've been involved in several entrepreneurial adventures, uh, which I call them adventures because uh, although I didn't uh, make any money at all, I didn't lose any money either, and there were some really big ideas. We could go into that if you like. I was also involved in a very serious uh, paragliding accident about five years ago, and as a result of that, I put a tool belt on and built a um, my dream home along with uh, dozens of other people, but uh, I have something very productive to show uh, for those uh, two and a half years that I worked on my house. And that is the house that I live in just north of Taos. And, how, how, does uh, a, how, how does a paragliding accident uh, lead into building a house? Uh, I hurt myself so badly that... Um, uh, I was given the advice that I should do something that I wouldn't ordinarily do to occupy myself because I was so injured and banged up uh, that that's what I did. And it uh, really helped in my rehabilitation, but it took me about three years to fully recover from that accident. And Aaron, I would also add that out of office, I uh, I sold my business in 1999. Uh, no one lost their job, and business is doing better than ever, but that gave me my uh, financial uh, freedom to be able to do this. And um, for me, that was always the goal. For me, uh, the goal of um, being successful was having enough money to, to be free and uh, accomplish that. So right out of office, Aaron, I took off to Nepal, uh, to uh, pursue a lifelong dream of climbing Mount Everest and uh, actually did summit Mount Everest. So since I've been out, uh, I, I summited Mount Everest, uh, Mount Elbrus, which is the highest mountain in Europe in Russia, and then uh, um, Kilimanjaro in Africa. So I have a goal to climb the highest mountain on each continent, and I have three of those to go. All right. Well, that's that's you're certainly more uh, uh, inclined toward the outdoors pursuits than I am. Uh, I give you credit for that. Um, so you're you're out of office. Um, you have these adventures, and I want to revisit again. Why run for president? Again, there's the the liberty message, but Ron Paul is around. He's somewhat popular, um, and so. 
what was the impetus that got you thinking about running for president um, in the first place, I guess? Well, uh, the belief that uh, it isn't just Ron Paul that's talking about this message. And I think he's been around a long time, and I think he's garnered a lot of support and a lot of enthusiasm, but it's got to be more than where he's gotten it to. And so that means that you can't leave it to just Ron Paul, and I wish him all the luck in the world, but uh, others need to stand up and uh, and uh, deliver the same message. And uh, if, enough, if enough of us stand up and deliver the same message, why... I think we'll actually have the change that we need. You know that that's that's a really good point too. I I mentioned before that um, I was active in the Republican Party for a long time. I was in the uh, chairman of the College Republicans in the in the mid '90s uh, when I was in college. Uh, helped with the uh, uh, as recently as the Bush '04 campaign. Helped with that. And a lot of the message and starting with uh, for me starting with the Republican class in the House in the 94 elections, there was a strong strain of, of, of libertarianism, of really wanting to downsize government and return to constitutional government among that class. They did a few things right, um, but in the, in the long term, they didn't really accomplish a lot. And I, I just got tired of over and over and over again you know, when election time rolls around, they the liberty message for the you know the particular wing of the party that is receptive to that they, they put the message out there for that. But when they in the general election and when they govern, it's it's out the door. And they again they come back, they talk a good game, but they don't walk the walk. Um, when what was your I guess. When you when you run for president and you're serious about this stuff, what is the reaction among, you know, the players in the GOP? Do they kind of dismiss you? Do they – I mean, talk about that process because I think you hit a lot of brick walls in your um, campaign. And, and why was that? Was it because – do you think it was because of your libertarian small-l message or, uh, but I use the the comparison a lot with, you know, why is John Huntsman getting in some of these debates, and you're not a similar resume, governor of a western state, but you're not uh, included. So why, what happened there? Well, I don't have an answer for you. Uh, five months ago, I was in a CNN poll that they included me in. I'm not sure why they included me in it, but. Uh, it had me at 2% of the national vote, which at that time tied me with uh, Kane and put me ahead of Huntsman and put me ahead of Santorum. Well, I thought that this is the end of uh, the trouble getting into the debate because they were basing the inclusion into their debates on the showings in their polls. And clearly I'm showing the same or better than those on stage. Aaron, that's the last. CNN poll that my name appeared. They pulled my name from from do it, from their own poll that had me one week at two percent, and two weeks later my name's not on the poll. So no matter how you cut it, that's just not fair. Right. I asked the Republican Party, the Republican National Committee, to stand up and say to CNN and other networks, look, if you're going to have debates and you're going to base the debates on showings in
Yeah. Um, I have a theory about that, and I, I don't necessarily uh, – you may not have a comment on it. That's fine. But I, I kind of think that the people who put on the debates, you know, it is a form of entertainment, and, you know, they're running a business, and they already kind of had the libertarian role cast. And they didn't – I don't think they felt like having – uh, two libertarians up there. Um, and I think that that really, you know, the fact that, that Ron Paul was kind of there first, they said, well, we've already got one of those. We don't need another one. Maybe they're scared of the message. Maybe they just don't think that it doesn't fit their narrative. So, um, well, I, I'm glad you are where you are now. You're declared as a candidate for, uh, the Libertarian Party's, uh, presidential nomination. Uh, at what point did you start thinking about that? Why did you make that decision? What's your history with the Libertarian Party? Well, I'd like to think that uh, I got to serve two terms uh, as governor of New Mexico as a Libertarian under the guise of being a Republican. I think I was well acknowledged as the most uh, Libertarian uh, politician uh, that uh, that was serving. Aaron, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, did you see the report by the ACLU a couple of weeks ago on uh, they graded all of the presidential candidates? Did you happen to catch that? No, I didn't see that. No, no. Well, uh, the ACLU is a group dedicated to civil liberties. Uh, the ACLU is dedicated to preserving the Bill of Rights. That's what they're all about. And they issued a grade on all of the candidates. And let's see, here's how the words went. Ron Paul scored very high uh, as the, the libertarian running for president uh, under uh, under the Republican banner. But the highest score belongs to Gary Johnson by a long shot. And then they described why that was the case. So I was really proud of that. And I think that's really indicative of um, of my time spent as governor also is the, when you look at uh, the records uh, very uh, objectively uh, I think I fare very well you got to identify the problems you got to identify what the solutions are to the problems and then you have to have a resume to suggest that you'll doggedly pursue that agenda and I think I got all three right so w what um I agree. There's a great message. The message needs to uh, be uh, disseminated. Neither of the two parties, like you know, as as a uh, officer in the Libertarian Party of Ohio, we were discussing yesterday. You know, people are are calling us and and emailing us asking us for Ron Paul yard signs, and you know we're in the position of saying while we agree with most of what Ron Paul says, you know we. We're a separate organization. We've given up on either of the two big government parties, and you know we're putting this network in place. Uh, like I say, the the Libertarian nominee will will most probably, if not definitely, be on uh, on the ballot in all 50 states. Uh, we've done a lot of groundwork uh, to prepare the way for people uh, from you know politicians and candidates all the way down to uh, rank and file party members to independents of all uh, stripes, you know, we're putting this network in place because I believe that there's going to be an exodus from the two major parties and people want to hear this message. They want government off their backs and the, the two big government parties are simply not going to deliver that. 
Um, so coming to the Libertarian Party, there's some organization here. We're obviously not as, as big as we'd like to be, but uh, what does that give what does the advantage of running as a libertarian rather than running as an independent or uh, waiting till next time and trying to run as a Republican again? What, what about the Libertarian Party besides just the, um, the ideology um, made this uh, an option for you? Well, it's the, it starts with the ideology. It starts with the message, you know, balancing the federal budget. Uh, advocating on the part of throwing out the entire federal tax system, replacing it with something that's uh, better. Uh, slashing spending. That means slashing welfare spending. That also means slashing warfare spending. It means standing up for what I think are constitutionally guaranteed uh, gay rights, gay marriage equality. Uh, but it's also gun rights. It's also property rights. It's, uh, it's rights on behalf of all of us to make decisions that I think only we should be making. Not building a fence across the border. What a waste of money. And uh, legalized marijuana. Legalized marijuana, and doesn't that address uh, border violence to the tune of about 75%? I mean, we've got uh, 40,000 deaths south of the border over the last four years. Now, this is a prohibition phenomenon. These are disputes that are being played out with guns rather than the courts. So, Aaron, this is a message that neither party wants to uh, talk about. Neither party wants to address the fundamental reason why this country exists. Liberty, freedom, personal responsibility that goes along with that. We've become an entitlement-driven uh, society. It's, I think, by accident. It's been driven by politicians with their hands out to save us from all the ills of the world. Right. Uh, whether that be the illegal immigrants, whether that be the terrorists, uh, whether that be drugs, whether that be poor health care, whether that be retirement. Vote me in office. I'll spend the money and save all of us from <laughs> what ends up to be what the country was founded on, which is liberty and freedom and our choices that we should be making. Right. You mentioned a couple of issues there, so I've got several kind of listed here. So let's let's go down the list of of issues, things that you're likely to encounter, hopefully on the campaign trail, when people ask you some questions. And for me, the biggest one, you know, I have some of my pet issues and things like that that are very important to me personally. But the one that just overrides everything is you mentioned that magic word entitlements. The um, the stuff that's supposedly not on the real budget, but we're but we're uh saying that people are entitled to this money. The obligation is growing and growing and growing. I think the second to the last straw for me with the Republican Party was when uh, President Bush signed the uh, prescription drug benefit for seniors. You know, we have the... the that, was a, that was a straw for me, too. That was an absolute straw. Right. And, and you know, the, 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 the wealthiest segment of our society, not to say that there's people in that demographic that, that aren't uh, uh, doing well, but uh, and, and a, an open-ended benefit that's going to cost trillions of dollars. 
what do we do about entitlements? Because we're told that, you know, it's the third rail of politics. We can't take these things away, especially Social Security. Um, you know, the media over and over again says nothing can be done about this. But then, again, if I hate to be cliched, but you look across the ocean to uh, Europe, Greece, and, and others, and their entitlements are becoming unwieldy, to say the least. That's heading our way. So on one hand, we're told we can't do anything, but then reality tells us we have to do something. So as president, what do we do? Well, uh, you hit it on the head, Aaron. Uh, there are those that uh, that just cringe uh, when you start talking about a balanced budget. Well, a balanced budget means uh, cutting uh, government by 43%, which is something that I am promising to submit to Congress in the year 2013. A reduction in Medicaid and Medicare of 43%. Social Security, uh, I'm advocating the fair tax. Uh, Social Security, there would no longer be withholdings from your payroll check uh, implementing the fair tax. There would be no more income tax, no more corporate tax, no more IRS, greatly simplifying the tax process, changing all existing tax into a federal consumption tax which by all uh, calculations will be uh, cost neutral over a very short amount of time. So this is what would end up making American goods and services competitive abroad. It would also, in a zero corporate tax rate environment, I think, um, create tens of millions of jobs in the private sector, not the government sector. So uh, Social Security. It's not about cutting Social Security. The proceeds from Social Security would come from the fair tax. The fair tax is revenue neutral, so we still need to cut government by 43%. But when you look at Social Security, which is very fixable, uh, that it can be a system that takes in more money than what it pays out, then you turn and look at uh, the next big drivers, and that's Medicaid, and that's Medicare, Based on my experience as governor of New Mexico, where we reformed Medicaid, uh, we changed it from a fee-for-service model to a, a managed care model, uh, better health care, better health care delivery, <clears throat> and a savings of hundreds of millions of dollars. If the federal government would have block-granted the state of New Mexico 43% less money, done away with all the strings and the mandates associated with the delivery of health care to the poor, I believe I could have effectively overseen the delivery of health care to the poor. I maintain that same posture when it comes to uh, Medicare, that we need to fix this, and if we don't, we're going to find ourselves with nothing. That's the, that's the hard thing for people to understand is, is that cutting ends up saving the system. So can we provide, in our benevolence, do we want to provide a safety net for those truly in need? Uh, for those over 65 that can't afford health care, I think we do in our benevolence. But I am talking about at the at the root of um, at the root of entitlement is the fact that the expenses associated with them have to be reduced by 43%. We have to balance the federal budget. We have to live within our means or the mathematics of continuing to spend more money than what you take in, which, in my opinion, 
we you you mentioned it. Uh, we're we're getting to see the preview here in uh, in Europe, and we're only a couple of years behind that statistically. Uh, so we've got to fix it, but we have to fix it now. And what's wrong with in our benevolence? Here's how we're going to spend our money. Uh, that's that's one thing, but it's another thing to uh, be printing money right out of thin air to cover expenses that, um, for the most part, are going to rise dramatically because of the accompanying inflation that goes along with printing money out of thin air. Right. Speaking of printing money out of thin air, what are your what's your opinion about the uh, Federal Reserve System? Well, I think the Federal Reserve System needs to return to its original mandate, which is price stability. Uh, and not the dual mandate that it has now for unemployment and price stability, which, in my opinion, has us uh, at zero uh, percent interest rates that artificially manipulated, and um, all the printing of all this money. We need we need to stop printing money. Uh, I would abolish the Federal Reserve if given the opportunity. But um, I think it's important to note that uh, ending the Federal Reserve is not the end all. That what we need is transparency. We could end the, we could end the Federal Reserve. That would bring about transparency. Uh, the functions that the central bank uh, currently uh, uh, that we need the central bank for could be picked up by regional banks. But it would not prevent Treasury from still printing money. Mm -hmm. We need to stop printing money. We printed money before we had a central bank. Other countries print money uh, without a central bank. So that's not the end all uh, there. But bring about transparency to the Federal Reserve. Get back to the original mandate, which is price stability, which would be a strong U.S. dollar, uh, not a weak U.S. dollar. And then I also think that it would be a good thing to return uh, return to the gold standard, return to a commodity-based currency that uh, we wouldn't have. Uh, we we don't need a fiat currency. Uh, we need a currency that has a basis in something. Right. Um, you mentioned the fair tax. Um, I know a little bit about it. I'm not an expert in it. Um, for the layman, exactly what is it? It's a consumption tax. Would it be collected at at the cash register or another point uh, along the system? And, and the other uh, major uh, um, question I have about alternatives to the income tax, which obviously I'm in favor of abolishing the income tax, but if we uh, institute another broad-based form of taxation while the 16th Amendment is still operable. Uh, we always have the uh, the specter of the income tax. Congress bringing the income tax back. So let's say we uh, elim eliminate the income tax, go with the fair tax. Five years down the road, you know, exigent circumstances they claim, and here comes the income tax again. Uh, so what is the fair tax, and and how do we make sure that if we you know, if we go to the fair tax, how do we make sure the income tax is dead? Well, so uh, everybody that uh, watches this needs to check out fairtax.org. It's been a proposal that's been around for a long time, but as part of the overall proposal, and there's no substituting when it comes to the proposal, it's, it's an all or nothing, but in the proposal is repeal of the 16th Amendment. Okay. So what you're talking about uh, would not happen. 
and it does away with the IRS, does away with income tax, does away with corporate tax, uh, and the, it does away with with withholdings. Uh, withholdings will come out of the proceeds uh, of the fair tax. Because a can of Coke today contains about 23% worth of tax and it sells for a dollar, Coca-Cola has to sell that Coke for something beyond a dollar to make a profit. Well, those are all those hidden taxes that uh, are embedded in that Coca-Cola. The fair tax applies to new goods and services, not uh, business, uh, not business expenditures, but uh, new goods and services. And um, what else can I say? Uh, is it kind of a, a national sales tax? I mean, is that how? Yes, okay. Yes. So it's collected at the register. It's collected at the register, and uh, in a, living in a state, New Mexico, that has gross receipts tax, it is a tax that's uh, easy to collect. And you might argue that this will promote a black market. Um, I don't know if it will promote black market any more than the black market that we currently have. Right. But uh, when you collect money currently in, in a black market environment, you have effectively escaped taxes. In a fair tax environment, you might escape, uh, you might escape by paying cash in some instances, just like you do today, but you're going to have to turn around and consume with those dollars in ways that won't avoid the fair tax. Right. So, uh, uh, it really, I think it's, it's uh, if you want to just characterize it as an improvement, it is an improvement. Right. Um, as governor of New Mexico, obviously a, a border state, um, immigration is, I think, um, a very big issue, has been and will continue to be. And it's one that I've had, uh, I've wrestled with as a, as a libertarian. I have con- conflicting thoughts about it um how did immigration affect life in new mexico when you were there is there a problem what needs to be done and 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 what's your what would be your uh approach to um all the issues that go and and with immigration let's throw in the you know the fact that mexico is a quickly destabilizing society, lots of drug violence, um, you know, the the problems of having a potentially failed state at some point right across our border. Um, how do we deal with that? And how is your experience, uh, what has your experience in New Mexico taught you about the, the issue? Well, uh, that uh, we're getting the cream of the crop when it comes to workers from Mexico. Uh, that they are doing jobs that Americans don't want, and uh, that's also welfare reform in this country, is uh, are Mexicans taking entry-level jobs from Americans? Uh, absolutely not, because you and I, as Americans, we can sit at home and collect a welfare check. It's just a little bit less money or the same amount of money for doing nothing. So why work? Right. I think we should make it as easy as possible for somebody that wants to come into this country and work to get a work visa. Not a green card, not citizenship, but a work visa. And that would 
entail a background check and a social security card so that applicable taxes would get paid. If we implement the fair tax, taxes aren't even an issue because nobody avoids paying the fair tax when it comes to uh, uh, goods and services. With regard to the 11 million illegal immigrants that are here, really that's a unintended consequence of uh, of uh, Reagan when he set up his amnesty period. He coupled that with putting the government in charge of uh, quotas. Well, that was a breakdown from day one. Aaron, if you want to come into this country and work, you can't get a work visa. You can't get one. And yet, they know that if they come across the border, even illegally, that they can get a job. So let's make it as easy as possible for them to get a work visa. Would Mexicans stand in line if the line was moving to get a work visa? Yes, they would. Mm -hmm. And you hit on it. I hit on it earlier. Um, look, border violence is a prohibition phenomenon. Legalize marijuana. Uh, bring rational drug policy to this country, which starts with looking at the drug problem as a health issue rather than a criminal justice issue. Uh, let's not discount uh, the problems with border violence. Uh, other than exactly what they are, and that they are a prohibition phenomenon. So if we can't uh, connect the dots between 40,000 deaths south of the border over the last four years and, and the prohibition, I don't know if we ever will. These are disputes that are being played out with guns rather than the courts. Right. It really is amazing, and I'm not an expert in it by any means, the uh – uh, the situation in Mexico, but the little I have read, like you said, 40,000 in four years for a country the size of Mexico, that's a lot of dead bodies. And the, you know, the drug war is the, the main contributing factor to all that. And it just, it, it makes me sick. I, um, uh, from all that to the streets of Dayton, I, I teach school in, uh, uh, urban, uh, Dayton, Ohio. And I see the uh, problems that uh, uh, my students and their communities have with the uh, uh, the war on drugs and things like that, and it's just a big, huge mistake. And like you say, we th that's the the best way to I think address uh, people who are you know you hear the term legalized drugs and people get scared. But like you say, I think if you say, hey, look, shouldn't we look at this as a health issue rather than a criminal issue? And I think that may be the, the way to get some people thinking uh, a little more rationally um, about it. Um, you mentioned ACL. Go ahead. You talked earlier about uh, Ron Paul and message, and uh, this is a this is an example of. Uh, and I'm now talking about legalizing marijuana. This is an example of when you get people talking about this issue more and more. People change their minds. So as of, what, three months ago, 50% um, of Americans now support legalizing, legalizing marijuana. Right. There's a great example of people talking about an issue that uh, has been raised to prominence by a lot more people over the years. So this is how we bring about change and uh, it's through education, it's through discussion, and um, it's a, that's a good thing. Right. I think 
Right. Uh, we mentioned the war on drugs, and earlier you mentioned the ACLU. One of the um, the the horrible side effects, I think, of the war on drugs um, has been erosion of civil liberties that go along with it, and the militarization of uh, police forces, and just the um, in in the mad dash to try and stamp out drugs. Uh, a lot of um, uh, our freedoms, I think, have gone out the window. How, is that your perception too? How would you um, try and reverse some of that? If if you agree with me there. Well, no, I completely agree with you. And uh, and now we've uh, now we've uh, turned our attention a little bit to uh, terrorism. And uh, along with drugs, are we all somehow terrorists too? And the government has a carte blanche to come into your home, whether it be uh, that you are a suspected terrorist or you are a suspected drug dealer or drug user. Uh, this is the erosion of our civil liberties. This, this has led to um, uh, police not being looked at favorably. Police should be looked at favorably everywhere, and drugs are responsible for that because we've got 1.8 million arrests a year. Uh, we've got tens of millions of Americans now who have been subject to the to the uh, criminal justice system that, but for our drug laws, would not have been subject to the criminal justice system. They would be tax-paying, law-abiding citizens. And I'm actually one of those. I mean, I'm one of the 100 million Americans who have smoked marijuana. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it is it is pretty amazing that, um, um, you know, when I was a kid, the police were the good guys, and I don't feel that way now. Um, the more and more I... I think drugs are responsible... Uh, the, the erosion of our civil liberties are responsible for that uh, for that diminished uh, view. Yeah, uh, I'm in the same camp. I grew up respecting and believing in law enforcement, and uh, and then have come to witness. And it, it's not law enforcement's fault; it's the law's fault. And we can change the laws. I think uh, Republicans have this dogma that you have to obey the law. Well. On that basis, would we still not allow women the right to vote? Would slavery still exist? Uh, would would civil rights legislation have passed uh, have this blind adherence to laws that should and can and need to be changed? Right. Uh, speaking of terrorism, terrorism not only leads to problems with civil liberties here at home, but um, you know, obviously, September 11th, a lot of things changed then, uh, and our government's reaction to that was uh, pretty massive, uh, some good, mostly not good. Um, as far as foreign policy and terrorism, uh, what are your issues? Uh, you know, that's one of the most important functions of a president is uh, is being the, you know, the chief diplomat and our, our face to the rest of the world commander-in-chief of the armed forces, how do you see America's role in the world um, going forward? How would you, um, how would you uh, lead on that issue? Well, I guess I would sum it up uh, uh, with the, going back to the founders of the Constitution. The idea was that uh, the United States would lead by example. The United States would be the country that stood up against the bull. 
bully. And uh, I'm afraid that we've become the bully. And because we've become the bully, I think there's a lot of distrust that exists uh, for this country. And um, it would be great uh, to reverse that trend. I really thought that Obama was going to have reversed this trend given his rhetoric prior to becoming elected. And uh, disappointingly, it's the same. It's just close your eyes and, gee, which party, which big government party's in office, Republicans or Democrats, doesn't seem to make any difference. We've got um, uh, a few minutes left here. Um, is there anything else uh, that you're going to be talking about as you travel the country that you think is a, a, a very pressing issue? Well, the issue is the economy. The issue is, is that we're broke. Uh, that's the biggest threat to our national security. So balance the federal budget. Balance the federal budget. I'm promising I'm going to veto legislation where expenses exceed revenue. I'm promising to advocate on the part of throwing out the entire federal tax system, replacing it with the fair tax. Aaron, in my opinion, doing those things reboots the American economy for the next hundred years. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement there. We really need to um, get out of the way and let uh, people's imaginations and the profit motive and creativity and all that stuff uh, uh, go forward. That's 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 what drives it, and uh, we're we're getting in the way of that right now. Um, what how? As running for president as a libertarian, what's the nuts and bolts of it? How are you uh, planning on getting the nomination? And if you get the nomination, how are you going to get your message out there um, in a media environment where, um, you know, libertarians are not um, not necessarily given the credence uh, that we deserve how are we going to how are you going to overcome that and get uh, the message about your candidacy out there well uh first of all the libertarian process there are 50 state conventions where delegates are elected to go to the uh national uh, uh the the national convention in Las Vegas the first week in uh, May right at which they will elect a presidential nominee so that's the process I hope to be that libertarian nominee, and then I hope to be able to poll at a level 15% uh, to be on stage in the national debate. Uh, right now, there's a poll uh, with uh, PPP that uh, I'm at 7% against uh, Obama and, uh, and Romney, and I think with... Uh, are, are the Sunday morning talking heads going to be talking about the libertarian nominee for president? Uh, probably not. Uh, but there will be thousands of articles written, uh, television appearances that wouldn't have otherwise been made, uh, radio appearances, that potentially, because of the discontent, push that number, push that... Uh, polling number up to potentially 15%, and then when you start getting equal time, I mean, this is the pie-in-the-sky scenario, when you get something uh, uh, that resembles equal time, a lot more support goes along with that, because in my opinion, this is a message that resonates uh, with most Americans. 
Right. Uh, one thing that we're trying to deal with at uh, the the state party level here in Ohio, uh, we're working on a plan. Uh, we don't have a plan yet. Well, we, we have kind of a plan. We're working on it um, to, to deal with the following scenario. In a few weeks, uh, a couple of months, whenever, you know, I happen to think that Ron Paul is going to probably be the last man standing against probably Mitt Romney. Uh, he's probably going to stick in there to the bitter end. But at some point, I, I really don't see him winning the nomination. Uh, I think the conservatives and the other people in the Republican Party are really going to close ranks around him. And, you know, so assuming that he does not get the nomination, we're trying to set up uh, contacts to the Ron Paul campaign organizations to let them know, hey, you've got a home. It's already built. It's called the Libertarian Party. Is there a plan in place with your campaign? How are you going to reach out to those people who are on fire for liberty and wanting to, to elect someone um, with libertarian ideals to shake up the system? How are we going to reach out to those people who are right now in the, in the Ron Paul um, camp? Well, I just have to I, I get back to my premise, and that is that people are smart. And um, I happen to uh, believe that uh, the scenario you just painted is going to, in fact, occur, and that is that uh, he's not going to be successful in getting the nomination. And so where do all those uh, liberty-minded individuals go? Uh, I don't think they go with uh, Obama. I don't think they go with Romney. I think they give the libertarian candidate a real hard look, and uh, and uh, potentially that's uh, that's the 15% that gets the libertarian candidate uh, on the national debate stage. Yeah, we're going to be, uh, we're definitely going to be uh, working for that here in Ohio. Um, a couple of things I always like to ask people um, uh, on kind of the lighter side. First of all, though, you're from New Mexico. Have you, are you a, a fan of the show Breaking Bad? <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, you have to see it. I know your your world is about to get very, very, very busy. But get the DVDs of that show and watch it. It has. Do you know the premise of it? Not really. Okay, well, it takes place in Albuquerque, and it's about a chemistry teacher who finds out he has cancer and is going to die, and, and in order to leave money behind for his wife, pregnant wife and son, he... he yeah, yeah. And it's got a lot of... Uh, uh, there's ties to Mexico and things like that. And there's some really great acting and writing, and obviously you probably recognize a lot of the locations they use. So if you have any downtime, you got to watch Breaking Bad. I'm telling you, it's one of right. one of the great shows. Right. Uh, what uh, what are you reading and uh, and or listening to uh, music wise, book wise these days? Well, uh, let's see. I just uh, finished the second book in the. Uh Hunger Games, so I got the third book to go. All right, I'm, I've started the first book, too. I'm a high school teacher, so I kind of have to get into that stuff, yeah. And then I uh, just recently uh, read uh, Hellhounds on His Trail, uh, Martin Luther King Assassination. Uh, uh, that was uh, Hampton Side's book. Do you really uh, do you listen to much music, or um, what's your taste going? I'm a pretty guy when it comes to music. I really... Uh, you know, I, I put it on uh, adult, contemporary, uh, top 40, and it, 
I, and uh, you're a, a big uh, bicycler, right? I am. So uh, I uh, continue to compete in uh, bicycling, mountain biking competitions, and I continue to be very competitive uh, hiking and skiing. Well, that that's great. It's uh, um, I uh, I see a lot of the the bikers out uh, when I'm usually driving to church on Sunday morning. They're out they're out riding and. Uh, it's cold here in Ohio, but they're still out riding. So uh, they're that's a pretty dedicated uh, um, uh, uh, group of people, group of sportsmen there. So, um, well, it, 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 it's really been a pleasure having you on. I wish you the best of luck. Hopefully, we'll uh, uh, we're trying to I think get you to come to our convention here in Ohio. I think the uh, uh, Debbie Dean is uh, is one of your point people here. So uh, hopefully we will uh, see you very soon here in the Buckeye State. And uh, best of luck uh, in your campaign. Great, Aaron. Thank you very much. Look forward to talking to you in the future. Okay, thanks. This has been Declare, the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Ohio. This program is paid for by the Libertarian Party of Ohio, not authorized or endorsed by any candidate or candidate's committee. 2586 Tiller Lane, Suite 2K, Columbus, Ohio, 43231-2265. Call toll-free, 888-371-2965. And once again, reach your host, Aaron, at news at lpo.org.